Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles. John chapter 12. We'll be in verse 12 in just a moment. And if you're visiting Christ Church this morning, we're really grateful you're here. Foremost, we're grateful you worship Jesus, and we invite you to join us as we do too. You encourage us by being here, and we hope we can do the same in in turn. Uh, We are in John 12 this morning, and let me give you a background for those of you who might be visiting today. Since November of 2016, we began a journey to go through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which we call the Gospels. It's the good news of Jesus, and there were four eyewitness accounts taken by followers of Jesus, and those go by the author's name, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we did is we began to look at those, and we took the story of Jesus, and we built a chronology of from beginning to end, how it normally played out, and we'll intermix. Matthew tells his story, and then Mark tells this one, and so forth. We've been doing that since November of 16. And when we began to write the series, we came up with the concept that there were five basic movements, or five chapters, if you will, from Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> it begins with the thing called the arrival. So this takes into the Old Testament prophecies about one would come, Genesis chapter 3, there would be one that would step on the serpent's head and crush his work. And we went all the way to the announcement to Mary that she would give birth to the Christ child, and that was the arrival. Then we went to a period of obscurity, a real silent period in Scripture for roughly the first 30 years of Jesus' life. There's not a whole lot told us about him except that he grew up like a normal person, he, he grew in size and in ability and mind and everything. He grew up normally, but that there were moments in his life that he began to become introduced to us. So we went from uh, the arrival to this period of obscurity to a period called recognition. And this is where he began to perform some miracles in some small groups. He began to teach and crowds began to gather, realizing he doesn't teach like anybody else. He's unique. Then we went to the fourth uh, movement in his life called the revolution. And this is where Jesus began to stand up against religion that was turning people away from God rather than to God. And he began to create some enemies. People noticed what he was teaching. It went against what they were teaching or against their position and authority. And there became a camp against him that began to plot to kill him. Now we're in the fifth movement. So if you're here today and you're like, well, maybe Christ church will become my home, my spiritual community. And you're thinking, oh, we're so late in the story. No, if you're going to join us, this is the best time to have joined us. Because we're going into the fifth period called the victory, and this is the final week of Jesus' life. The most important week to ever happen in all of humanity and in all of history. So important, in fact, that let me give you some background. If you take the amount, the quantity of writing that the four gospel authors put on this final week, I hope to impress you. 40% of Matthew's 28 chapters are focused on this week. Mark's, 60% of Mark's writings are on this week. Luke, 33, one-third of his writing is about this one seven-day period of time. And John spends 50% of his gospel on this week. 89 chapters between the four authors. And of those, four chapters deal with the first three years of his life. 56 deal with his ministry, the three-and-a-half-year public ministry, And 29 chapters of the 89. So 30 some percent, almost 33%. A third of the gospels are written on this last week. Now I have about three hours worth of research to prove this point. Shake your head if you get it so we can move on. All right. It's a big deal. Are you with me, church? Yeah, this is a big deal. This is not just something. Here's my concern. 
that you can know the end of this week and what happens on the weekend and what happens next Sunday and skip understanding Jesus for what he experienced that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I don't want us to do that. I'm not, I'm not even confident enough to tell you how long it's going to take us to process these seven days. It won't be weeks. I think we'll finish in 2023. No, I'm kidding. It won't be that long. But we're going to take our time and savor this because it is the most important week in the history of man, and it can change your eternity if you pay attention. Even if you already follow Jesus, we can develop a greater appreciation, love, and respect for him if we pay attention to the details of this last week. So I hope I have you interested. And if I don't, I'm still going to do it. So let's go. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This action seems strange to us. And in fact, I will confess in 32 years of preaching, I've never actually preached the Palm Sunday text. I have repent. Because by spending time in it, I realize there's some, there's some truth in here that I didn't take the time to see. Because, you know, it's just the beginning of the week. Let's get to the best part of the week when everything changed. But the fact is, something happened on this Sunday that if we pay attention to it, is significant. So I'd like to just break this message down by talking to you about a day, a deliverer, and a decision. Three simple things found here, but profound. Let's talk about the day. If you hate history, please forgive me in advance. Because there is so much necessary background that I want to tell you what's going on so you can understand what took place this one Sunday 2,000 years ago. Passover was being set up for, at the end of the week, they would celebrate the Passover. So if you know your Old Testament history, you know that the Jews created... Many, many festivals or feasts or celebrations, whatever you want to call them, they created these moments in time to remember. They wanted to never forget how God had provided for them. So they would have moments where they might remember how he provided manna and water in the wilderness. So they have this feast. And then they created the thing called the Passover. And it signified the passing over of the death angel of God on those who took the blood of a lamb and wiped it on their doorpost at the celebration on the night that they were freed from Egyptian control, God would send that down, and if they listened and obeyed, they would be spared. This is the background of the Passover. They would celebrate this every year. I'm told that within a 100-mile radius of Jerusalem, if you were a Jew, that you were expected to come to the Passover. It's, and you think, well, what do you mean expected? Like your mom expects you to come home for Thanksgiving. The expectation was, good family does this. And if you could make the trip to the Passover, it was a big event. If you lived outside of that suspected radius, they expected you to come once in your lifetime to celebrate the Passover in the Holy City. This was a big, big deal. (coughs) Families would choose a Passover lamb like they did in the Old Testament story in the Exodus. They would take the Passover lamb. It had to be a sacrifice. It had to be one of the best of the best. You wouldn't go get an old gimpy leg blind lamb and say, I can afford to lose this, you would actually get your very best breeding lamb, the one that if you kept it could reward you, but instead you would give it to God as a statement saying, I can give this up and I still trust you. You will, you'll care for me. The Passover was a big, big deal in the city. Thousands, if not more than that would gather. And it says in verse 12, a great crowd gathered. 
And we learned by piecing the scriptures together that what had happened was Jesus, the past few weeks, you might notice that Jesus started in this little town of Jericho and he went through and he healed a, a man named Bartimaeus who was blind. And then he went a few miles later to a city of Bethany where he often stayed outside the city and he had friends there. And he went to Simon who was a leper and Jesus had healed him. And he went to his house because Simon wanted to hold a, a meal for Jesus just to thank him. And Lazarus was there. So you have this ex-leper Jesus healed and you have this ex-dead guy. I mean, he was dead, now he's not, thanks to Jesus. And they're sitting at the meal, and Sister Mary comes in, and she begins to anoint him for, for his burial. See, Mary had heard Jesus say that he was going to Jerusalem and he would give his life. Nobody else was listening or heard what he was saying. Mary heard it, she anoints his feet, Jesus said, this is a special moment. And then our text says, the next day, Jesus got up and started heading toward Jerusalem. Now, the crowd was there. The crowd that had heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead and seeing Bartimaeus being from blind to seeing, that crowd stayed with Jesus. Think about it. If you knew that the one that had been promised for hundreds of years was coming into your town on this particular day, would you make time for it? And they'd made time for it. And the crowd was there. And the crowd had followed Jesus to the Mount of Olives. Now, a good preacher would have had like a graphic, but since I'm not, I'm just going to tell you about it. The Mount of Olives was a, a mountain over here and two and a half mile valley over to the city of Jerusalem, which was raised above it. Jerusalem was built on Mount Moriah. You might remember that's when Abraham sacrificed Isaac in the Old Testament, Genesis 22. It was renamed Mount Zion when David built the city of, from the city of Bethlehem, he built the city of Jerusalem. And you have this big moment where this elevated city. So Jesus would come to the mountaintop of the Mount Olives over here. He would look over the Kidron Valley, which was two and a half miles from point to point, and he would look on the great city. And he stopped there, and the crowd stopped gathered. But Jesus looked down, and a large crowd was coming down from Jerusalem to meet him. They knew he stopped there regularly. The crowd had said he's coming. They knew which direction he was coming. So they went to the great intersection where this Messiah would begin his descent and then his climb to the great city. That's why you always hear when people are coming out of Jerusalem, they're coming down from Jerusalem. Nod your head if you're with me so far. If you're nodding because you're sound asleep, may God bless you. Okay, so... You have this moment where Jesus is gathered and there's a great crowd. And I always wondered, because I'm a Sunday school kid with the flannel graphs from the 70s, I always imagined a large crowd on the flannel graph was 20 people. Then I did some research and a non-Christian historian suggested that about the time that Jesus would have been gone into the city, about the year that there was a, a record or a record taken of one time that the lambs that were sacrificed in the city of Jerusalem on a particular Passover, not the Passover Jesus was going to, but one that preceded that, that it was estimated that 250,000 lambs would be sacrificed that week for the Passover. 250,000. We're not talking about 100 people with Jesus. We're talking about thousands. An overwhelming crowd. Keep that in mind because it plays into our understanding of the story. This is a massive moment. I also want to back you up and remember, do you remember how many times when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus does this weird thing? He performs a miracle. He feeds or heals somebody. He casts out a demon do you remember what he always says to the person he blessed? Shh, don't say something. Don't run around and tell everybody what I just did. That seems odd. You came to be known. You came to reveal yourself. Then you do a cool thing that everybody should know about, and you're telling the people that you blessed not to say anything. We understand what he was doing. It seems odd to us, though. And Jesus was actually saying is, it's not the time for me to go public. 
Because if you force me to go public before my perfect time, I won't be able to do what I came here to do. But on this time, see, two weeks ago, if you were with us, a blind man named Bartimaeus calls out Jesus is walking by on his way to Jerusalem, probably two days previous to the day we're in today. And he's walking by and Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David. In other words, he's saying these words. Everybody knew what he meant. He's saying, King Jesus. And Jesus turns around and goes, yeah, that's me. What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? This is the very first time I can see in scripture that Jesus actually doesn't silence the voice calling him the Messiah. He actually says, yeah, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see again. And Jesus says, your faith, by calling me your king, your faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus' eyes began to see again. And the crowd began to buzz going, it's him. And we think that's a cool moment. And then you come two days later and he's on this mountaintop and thousands of people are coming from both sides to carry Jesus into the city. And we're like, yeah, game on. Jesus is finally going to get some for him. Stop and realize though, by allowing the crowd to tell everyone who he was, by the crowd gathering, it would cost him his life. What seems cool to us and about time Jesus got some respect, that respect would cost him his death. And Jesus knew that moment when he received it, that he would humbly enter the city, but he would enter immodestly. He was no longer telling people, don't say it. He was simply saying, now's the time to say it. And by receiving the praise, it would cost him his life. I want that to linger in us. I don't want us to just see the parade and the celebration and all the happiness of what we call Palm Sunday. I actually want you to understand that when Jesus let it happen, he humbly received something that none of us would have ever chosen for ourselves. You see, on this particular Sunday, Jesus would go public in a very dangerous way. See, this date, the date of Palm Sunday, is the 10th of Nisan. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Nisan is a, is a month in the Jewish calendar. Their calendar is numbered differently than ours. I'm told it has 360-ish days. We have 365. That's why sometimes you'll see we celebrate Easter in the end of March or in the middle of April. It all depends how the calendars cycle through. It's not we don't pick the most convenient date. It's actually celebrated based on arriving with the Jewish calendar of Passover. Now, here's what's significant about this particular Sunday. I want you to think about this. On the Sunday of the Passover week, every family would choose the Passover lamb that they would offer to be sacrificed. And on that day, they would dedicate that lamb to be sacrificed later in the week, and the blood would pour. This is not an exaggeration. The blood would pour from the temple through the streets. There would be so many sacrifices because the blood in the Exodus protected them from the wrath of God. And the the lambs would be chosen on Sunday. And, And here, allow me to try to be poetic. On this particular Sunday, the families chose the lamb that would bring the Passover. And on that particular Sunday, the lamb chose the people he would save. Do you see what happened that day? Jesus went into the city knowing he would be the lamb That would be the final sacrifice for every single one of us. We no longer have to pick a lamb. We just have to pick him. And he entered into this at great risk. He did it with beauty. It was a special day. It wasn't just any Sunday. It was a very special Sunday. And he went as a deliverer. If you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I've already told you that there's a 
There's a two and a half mile convergence of crowds and these crowds are excited. You see, Jesus is coming and they hear the Messiah is coming. He's healed the blind. He's cast out the sick. He did the one thing they were waiting for. He raised the dead and they knew this was the guy and the crowd's excited and they're lining the streets and they've put palm branches down on the ground. And we, what does the palm branch mean? I, it makes no sense. What does that mean? We'll take our, our ticker tape parades today. Go through the Canyon of Legends in New York and they shred paper and they throw it down and everyone celebrates and Super Bowl teams and World Series teams have these parades and they make a big deal. And this is what this was. You see, it wasn't about a sports team or a politician. It was about a conqueror. You see, they went out to the city to pave the way for their conqueror to come. You see, the crowd was thinking, Rome, you better pay attention. Our military hero is coming in and he's going to wipe you out and we're going to be restored in Jerusalem and it's going to be our city and everybody who's not Jewish is going to be kicked out and and the kingdom of Israel is going to be established again. That's why they cried out things like, save us now, Hosanna. Bring salvation now. That's why they cried out, blessed is he who's the king of Israel. You don't think Rome heard that? You don't think Caesar was told, hey, There's a bunch of Jews in Jerusalem saying that a king has arrived. And Caesar would be like, excuse me, they have a king. It's me. And Caesar didn't suffer puppets. Caesar took out anybody who threatened him. They thought he was coming to establishing. They waved the branches. They cried out, bring salvation now. And for the first time in his ministry, Jesus did not silence them. He humbly received it. He immodestly, though, received it. Jesus wasn't like, oh, shucks, you guys, come on. No, Jesus was like, you're right. And now you're going to find out what a real conqueror does. I'm going to deliver you. And it said he found a young donkey. And let's be honest. If we weren't in church, we'd be going, okay, this got really weird. First, you got a bunch of happy people waving branches. Now you got Jesus sitting on a donkey. And that's supposed to mean something, but I don't get what it means. Well, let me tell you this. In Zechariah 9.9 in your Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet prophesied when the, gate, when the new king, the great king of Israel, would enter into the city gates, he would come riding on a donkey. And we go, okay, cool. So he predicted it. No, you have to understand something. When conquering heroes entered a city, they came in on a horse. When people came in peace, they came on donkeys. You see, you might remember in Shakespeare's tale of Julius Caesar, how Caesar had won a great war and the Senate in Rome told him, do not bring the army into the city because that's aggressive and that will appear like you're taking over. And Julius Caesar stopped on the one side of the Rubicon River and he had a great decision. I don't know if he actually went through this, but, but Shakespeare made it sound awesome. That he sat on the other side of the Rubicon River and he said these words, the die has been cast. In other words, I have to cross the river. And he had a choice to walk across the river to bring peace or to ride in on his horse. And he rode in on his horse with his army and he took over and became Caesar. There was a moment in time in Jesus' day when a conquering hero came in on a horse and a peaceful person came in on a donkey. What did Jesus choose? See, the crowd wanted the horse. The crowd wanted him to come in and go, hey, Rome, check it out. And instead, he comes in on a donkey, and people are like, what is going on? Don Carson, who's a preacher, has a great line on this. Carson says these words. He says, anybody who's ever uh, been on a farm realizes you don't ride a young donkey. They have to be broken. And he said, secondly, you don't ride a young donkey who's never been broken into a crowd where they're waving things, hollering, and jumping up and down. Except you're Jesus. 
You see, my application is this. Jesus sat on the donkey and it was broke. Why? Because he created it. When you're God, you can take some shortcuts. And he strolls into town on this donkey and the crowd's misunderstanding. They're thinking, we're going to win, we're going to win. And Jesus is looking at that going, now look at what I'm on, I'm going to die. You see, Jesus came in peace on Sunday and he would go out in pieces on Friday. And he chose it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't because he couldn't find a horse. Let me tell you some real good news. If my tail starts wagging, just go with me. You see, the first time Jesus goes into Jerusalem as the Messiah, this is the first public presentation of who he is. When he goes in the first time, he goes in on a donkey, he goes in as Prince of Peace, and he's offering us peace with his father. Revelation tells me the second time he comes. In Revelation 19, he's coming in on a horse, and victory's going to be written on his leg, and he's going to have a sword in his hand, and he's going to bring justice and judgment on those who've rejected him. I'm telling you what, church, we better pay attention to this Sunday before we get to Friday, because it's on this Sunday, I would rather receive Jesus as the Prince of Peace than the second time he comes. Because the second time he comes, he's going to be able to look at me and say, you are a sinner who refused the blood of the Lamb. I'd much rather receive him on a donkey. I never figured that out till recently. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for being so humble and yet so immodest. In Luke chapter 19, Luke tells us a part of the story that John passes on. Luke says, and as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. I want you to imagine he is surrounded by thousands of people who were telling him he's the answer to every one of their wishes. And Jesus could probably was never more lonely than in that moment. And he begins to cry. And he starts to cry because he realizes these words. Listen, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is heartbroken. You don't get me. You've not been listening. You're not paying attention. You see, they wanted Jesus to do what they wanted Jesus to do. And Jesus said, I'm going to do the opposite of what you want me to do because that's what you need. I'm going to lay my life down and die. I'm not going to come in power. I'm not going to come in might. I'm going to come in humility and gentleness and give my life for you. I'm going to give you what you need, not what you want. And lastly, it's a very special day. He came as the perfect deliverer against our wishes. And lastly, it requires a decision. John tells us in verse 16 these words. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things to him. Three and a half years of hearing this man talk and they weren't paying attention. They were distracted. They thought he was going to establish a kingdom and they wanted to be a part of his kingdom. But they didn't understand what kind of kingdom. They didn't understand what kind of king. Notice his patience though. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to confess. Part of my weakness would be I would be going into the city realizing everyone thinks I'm going to win a war and, in fact, I'm going to die a death. And they don't appreciate it, they don't understand it, and they won't listen to me. I don't know about you. I'd have gotten off the donkey and walked home. I'd have been like, I'm not helping you people. You're idiots. But instead, Jesus went, yeah, they are not listening. But when I come through the tomb and I raise on that day, they'll pay attention. Jesus was patient and kind and he didn't quit on us. And so if you ever believe the lie that you've done so much that Jesus can't love you, you've been lied to. This demonstrates he doesn't quit on us. In fact, he sometimes has to tolerate us to get our attention. But when Jesus came in that city, 
And he allowed them to announce who he was. He gave you and I only two options. There's only two options available to us with Jesus. If you understand who he is, you can crown him or you're going to have to kill him. You either crown him or you kill him. There's no other options. You either bow before him or you expect him to bow to you. And it's this moment in time that Jesus does the hardest thing that I could think he could do was to place himself at the mercy of people who had no mercy. Realizing from the scriptures what would happen to him. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given the miraculous signs, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And they didn't understand either. It looked like everybody was for Jesus. But let me tell you, on this particular Sunday, thousands of people, possibly as many as hundreds of thousands of people, escorted Jesus into the city with great applause. And on Friday, they're all gone. On Saturday, they all disbelieve. And on Sunday, a small remnant of faith is found through the power of the resurrection. What do we learn from this? You can't ask Jesus to be the conqueror of your sin and not make him the ruler of your life. You cannot accept what he did that day. You either crown him or kill him. There's no in between. And I don't say that to be angry at you. I'm telling you right now, you get to make a decision. It's a decision you get to choose. But seek the evidence. Know the story. Spend time with the man before you decide he's inconvenient. He gets in my way. I love him on Sundays, but I don't have time for him Monday through Friday. Because if that's the case, then you're living the same life of the week we're about to enter into. Everybody loved Jesus on the happy Sunday. But very few people loved him in the midst of the struggles that took place the next five days. He came into the city and they thought he was going to put everything right. Politics were going to change. Power was going to change. Affluence was going to change. And Jesus did not come to make everything right. Jesus came to make everyone right. And that's what he's offering us. As we do around here, there's some things I want you to think, to become, and to do because of the word of God. Every text gives us something to think about, something to become, and something to do. We simply say it as your head, your heart, and your hands. So what are you to think about? How are we to take these truths today and celebrate them and hold them and rejoice in them? Do you know what the scriptures teach about the Messiah? You might say, well, I've tried the Bible and I get lost in Deuteronomy. We all do. So study your Bible with intention. It's, it's good to read the entirety of Scripture, but you also want some help? You want to read what the Messiah has promised about in the Old Testament? There's a bunch of people on our staff that would be happy to show you Bible studies and create Bible studies for you to think on the things that need thought on. Not just read a quick little devotion with a story about a dog and a cat and then going about your day. No, let's be intentional. Let's put our minds to who the Messiah promised to be and did he do what he said he would do. Read the Scripture to find Jesus. Does it move your heart? to consider Jesus and how he came as a prince of peace. If I can give you one thing to meditate on this week, think about the donkey this week and realize what risk and vulnerability he showed to to come into a city knowing they would take him out in pieces. Your heart to become? Hosanna means bring salvation now. Can you cry that? And I'm not saying I need to be saved. No, no, maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you've already received the blood, but you've realized that you, you've taken the crown off his head and you've set it aside and you just bring it out periodically. Can you crown him your savior? 
Do you spend your days living in such a way that nobody would have a question to who your loyalty belongs and who changed your life? Will you seek his lordship by admitting you need him? Will you enter into a time of prayer not just to have prayed, but will you pray in such a way that you just remind Jesus, I need you, I love you, I want you? In your hands, have you been forgiven? Have you taken the blood of the lamb, wiped it over the the doorpost as God asked you to? You see, in the New Testament, we're not required to kill lambs. And aren't aren't we glad? That's gross. We don't have to do that anymore because the lamb chose us and died for us and his blood cleanses us. And your New Testament will tell you that to receive the blood of the lamb, you are to be baptized. It's an English word. You're to be immersed. You're to allow the the waters of baptism to symbolically cleanse you by the blood of Jesus Christ so you can walk in newness of life. We spend way too much time arguing. I don't think I should have to and I don't think we have to. You don't have to. You get to. You get to receive the king on the donkey as the prince of peace. Or you will have to receive him on the white horse with the sword. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm telling you, we have the chance of a lifetime. Why are we arguing? Why are we not just submitting? Around this room are four tables with lamps lit on them. And some of our elders and staffs are going to these tables. And there are some of you here today who have never placed a crown on Jesus' head by taking it off of your own. You're trying to make yourself the ruler of it all. The best way to live your life. It's not punishment to follow Jesus. It's a blessing. And it's not just a blessing in the future. It's a blessing today to have peace in your heart, knowing that what you can't handle, Jesus already has. But you have to take the crown off your head and place it on his. And some of you have never done that. You've never been immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. You've gone through the practices. You're faithful to church, but you've never submitted to Jesus. You can't ask him to be your conqueror and not be your ruler. And how you respond to a ruler is by saying, yes, sir. And he has said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing and teaching. And that's what we're calling everyone to do. And if you're a believer who's already gone through those and you've already submitted to that, praise God here this morning. Don't just say, I did it. Celebrate the fact that you were allowed to. Maybe you need to be prayed with this morning or encouraged. Maybe you're struggling and you're you're struggling with Jesus. You're like, I want to crown him, but I have doubts and I have questions. This is the best place to have doubts because all of us are messed up. But together we're stronger. And together we encourage each other. Maybe you need to be prayed with. I'm going to ask you that when, in just a few moments when we uh, stand to sing, if you have a decision, you want someone to pray with you, encourage you, and walk with you, just go to these tables. They'll be there after the service too. Don't let today go by without crowning Jesus who he actually is. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.